welcome to Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning with Wigan and Dana, the show where CPAs, insurance professionals, investment brokers, trust companies, CFPs, and more can firm up on their understanding of estate planning strategies so they can better guide their clients to make wise decisions with their legacy. Future Focus is hosted by Aaron Nichols and Michael Clear, partners of the Private Client Services Department at Wigan and Dana. Subscribe to Future Focused Sophisticated Estate Planning on your favorite podcast platform and share episodes with your clients. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron and Michael. Hello, and welcome to Future Focused. I'm your host, Michael Clear, and today I am in Palm Beach, Florida with one of our resident partners, Veronica Bauer. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Today in our conversation, we are going to focus on changing your domicile and residence to Florida, a topic that you are very familiar with. Coming from Connecticut, I'm very familiar with it myself. You've gone through the process, so you're extremely experienced in it. And over time, if you had to guess how many clients you have helped with this, it would just be a large number. Yes, hundreds probably. Why don't we start with the client who would make it easy. They come to you and they say, I want to move to Florida. What do I need to do? So we have a nice checklist that we go through. The most important and first step is to obtain your Florida driver's license. Along with that, you also need to get a Florida voter's registration. You also need to get a declaration of domicile. People will come in. Well, let's hit that. The declaration of domicile sounds like a very formal document, and it feels like there's a little more to it than just simply declaring your major. I've declared that I am now a political science major. So it's not a difficult form. It's a one-pager, and you really do not need an attorney to help you complete it. However, a lot of clients do like to have us review it. It does need to be notarized. And the form basically says, this is where I lived before. This is my primary residence now in Florida. I still maintain this home in another state, but Florida is my primary home, and I consider it my domicile. It does get recorded. Let's take a quick step back and talk a little bit about the difference between your domicile and residence and how those two things may come into play. So you may have more than one residence, but you may only have one domicile. And domicile is the place that you consider home. And as our colleague Dan Daniels would say, think quick. If someone asks you where you're from, you should say Florida. (laughs) And that's your primary home seen some of the cases, not always Florida specific, but you'll see fact patterns when judges decide you'll think, see triggering events like when the dog went down or when, when a special car went down. So it's not always so easy to pick where that line is drawn. Right. And just because you meet everything on the checklist does not necessarily mean that you will be considered to be domiciled in Florida if you do not take actions in the states from which you come to break that domicile characterization. You're leaving Connecticut or New York, you've sold your house and you moved to Florida. That's a good one. That's easy. The more common scenario is they're trying to keep the house in Connecticut or New York or their home state, and they are moving for initially income tax purposes, really. I would say primarily income taxes, but we also have an older demographic here and they're coming to enjoy the retirement in Florida and the sun and the good health and good weather. I'm laughing right now because we're sitting here among two days of not good weather and 40 mile an hour winds. So I was sold a bill of goods on that one, I think. So from a timing perspective, if we think maybe on the resident side, we hear clients say, 
I want to be outside of my state for X amount of days. What do you respond to a client who says that to you? So I tell them in Florida, Florida does not require a minimum amount of time be spent in Florida to be considered a Florida domiciliary. So what we advise clients is that you are really trying to ward off the states from which you are arriving. So Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, whichever state it is, those states have day requirements. And if you spend too much time in those states, then you will be considered a domiciliary for income and estate tax purposes. So we tell clients not to cut it close. Most states are 183 days. We say, don't even get close to that and try to spend as much time in Florida as possible. Ideally, more time in Florida than you spend in that other state. And then we also have the tricky cases where clients have more than one home. That's a whole different analysis. And again, we try to explain to clients that if you really want to be considered a Florida domiciliary, you really should be spending most of your time in Florida. You could see how that could be tricky if you have state homes in multiple states where you visit them and you're not necessarily, let's go with a a New York resident, that was your previous domicile. Now you're trying to give that up, making sure that you have to establish your new domicile somewhere. So you have to have a change in pattern and where you spend your time. And that could be a hard mindset shift. Right. And we like to tell clients who are traveling to Europe or on vacations that they should be, to the extent possible, leaving and arriving from a Florida airport. Some clients will say, well, I have my place in New York. I could spend the night there. Okay, that probably is okay, but really it should be quick, quick, quick. Avoiding those transitory days, the shoulder days coming into the city, the day early flying out or coming back, those days just add up. So days are important. I think we know in today's high-tech world how easy it is for those losing states, the states where people are leaving from, to look at data whether it's credit card receipts, your phone pinging, your easy pass. It's not terribly hard for them. I think which goes to the idea that we shouldn't cut it close. Reestablish your domicile. You should count your days, but don't make it too close. But some people use apps to help them keep track of their activities. They do. And I always recommend to clients that if they're not computer savvy, that they keep a calendar. And if they're flying, they keep tickets stapled to the back of the days and things like that. That helps a lot. One of the interesting cases I had was Connecticut was fighting very hard to declare my client a Connecticut domiciliary for estate tax purposes. And we went back and forth for months. And finally, we gave the state of Connecticut DRS his country club receipts from the summer. They said at that point, okay, he's in Florida in the summertime. He's made the switch. He was there in June and July and August. That's better than the dog or the car. (laughs) What's the timing aspect of the domicile and the domicile declaration? Is July 1st, August 31st? Is it January 1st? We tell clients that the declaration of domicile should really be filed as soon as they make this their home. And that would be when they have their driver's license. And then... They re-register their cars into Florida. Re-register their card, their cars, voters' registration. It's very important to have a local bank with a checkbook that has local address. They will ask who your local banker is. So you should have a connection with a local banker. The big one that I always tell clients, which clients, it seems obvious, is to make sure that all utility bills are going to the Florida address, including the utility bills for that home in Connecticut or New York or wherever it is. Everything needs to go to Florida. So 
it's work. It's a lot of work. All of your bank statements, investment statements, everything needs to be sent to Florida and retitled. It's not necessarily to the floor. It's not necessarily to the domicile side, but along those lines, do you talk a little bit about as you're doing that, maybe trying to fund their revocable trusts? We do, sure. But I think just getting through the paperwork of changing their domicile to Florida is more than most people can handle at one time. But we do discuss it, and usually it's a next phase. That's a good point. We want to make sure we do it and we do it right. So we're focused that step one, focusing on domicile, focusing on the paperwork, getting those things lined up. And then year two, maybe moving towards some of the funding, the revocable right. trust. Right. It, it depends on when they're arriving in Florida and making all those changes. By the end of the year, they're ready to go. We hear about the homestead in Florida and the homestead exemption. What benefits does somebody get with their homestead? So Florida is a good state for asset protection, not just with respect to homestead, which is your primary residence, but also with respect to other assets as well, which is a topic for another day. But under the Florida Constitution, your homestead is protected from creditors. And then there's the dissent and device concept as well. And if you actually go ahead and file your homestead application and request the exemption, then you're entitled to the Save Our Homes cap, which is probably for most people, the most important piece of it because it keeps your real estate taxes down. And essentially, the property appraiser is not permitted to assess your property more than 3% per year, which really helps keep your taxes down. Those are three great benefits of the homestead. Sometimes some clients will think they don't need the asset protection piece and they'll say, I can give that up. The descent device happens It's a very tricky concept. Really, what makes the most and hits them hard is the real estate taxes. If they don't have the exemption. And could you just think of that in the most recent kind of explosion in value that we've experienced in in Florida? If your house doubled in value, there'd be a massive increase in your property taxes. Massive increase. And here in Palm Beach County and Martin County, to some extent as well, the real estate taxes and definitely Miami-Dade and Broward, the real estate taxes are very high because this is our only source of income in the estate of Florida. We don't have an income tax. We don't have an estate tax. So the taxes are high. And I think most people are a little sticker shocked, which is why now on the property appraiser's webpage, you'll see a big disclaimer in red that just because it says this is the property tax does not mean that this will be your property tax. It is going to go up. And that's a recent addition, I might add. That's fair, because your people are looking at Zillow. They're flipping through houses. They're thinking about expenses. And on there, it will list what the current property taxes are. And if you're thinking about that, but if it was that person's homestead, those property taxes, they'd moved, but at a 3% rate since they purchased it. That's right. And most realtors will tell you that when they're showing property, but some don't. And I definitely would not rely on your real estate attorney to file the homestead for you. That is really something you should take responsibility for and make sure it's done. I can't tell you how many clients come in and said, oh, our attorney was supposed to do that. And then we look and they said, well, they didn't. You need to take care of that yourself. So can they do it retroactively? So you buy a house in July. When do you file that form? You would need to file for the upcoming year. So the following year by March 1st of that following year. So for 2023, if you bought a home, you need to file by March 1st of 2024. 
and the exemption is good for 2024, not for 2023. It is important, especially if you're going to make improvements. So they will base it on the value that you paid for it. And if you don't do anything, then that's the value that they start with. But if you buy it and then make a bunch of improvements and then file for homestead. I've had a number of clients want to do various things with their, as we look into 2020, the future of the estate tax exemption and it moving and they're thinking, well, our Florida property has grown in value a lot. Maybe this is an asset I should use as gifting. And I think as you have some of those conversations and the complexity surrounding gifting that sort of an asset and maintaining your exemptions, they may walk away from that. We prefer that your homestead not be used. That should be the very last asset just because of the homestead exemption and how important it is. There are ways to get around it. Planning strategies, and we can do it. It's an added complexity to the overall planning. It's not as easy as simply transferring the deed for your gift. Correct. And there will be a form that has to be completed and you will need special language and say your Cupert or whichever document that you're using that basically says that you still have the requisite possession and equitable right to use the property. So we're working with the client. You've talked about the factors that they should rely upon. You've encouraged them to change their license, update the car registration and the doctors. We've gone through the homestead exemption. Does that get them there? No, there are still a lot of factors that the other states look at. For instance, the size of your home, square footage up there versus here in Florida. This is a timely topic because we are in we are in the middle of the holidays. And so we advise our clients, look at where are you spending your holidays? Because if Florida is really your home, that is where you would ideally spend your holidays. But a lot of clients say, well, we go up to visit the grandchildren and then we stay through the holidays. (laughs) And we tell our clients that is something that the states look at, the other states look at. And at least for the first several years or two or three, you probably want to be here on New Year's Eve and not spend... Thanksgiving and Christmas, all those months up there. So that is a factor that we tell clients about, and it's up to them. Some say, I don't care. I'm going (laughs) to keep my holidays the way they are. But it goes back to where's your home? Back to the quick response, the gut feeling, and making those memories. In that, I know often when I'm talking to clients about the move, clients who think it's a day requirement and they're going to cut it close We have that conversation about grandchildren and family and where they are. Because to me, often if the grandchildren are in the leaving state, they're going to mess up because they're going to come back for too many things. They're going to come back for a recital or for a birthday party. And those days end up adding up. It's where those grandkids are. So I think it helps when those grandkids are spread out a little. Nobody likes that idea. I think most clients are careful and cognizant of the days and they try to be very careful. But the truth of the matter is, really, this is your life and life is short and you want it to be happy. So if that is what you want to do, then that's what you should do. Saving taxes are only great if it makes you happy. If it makes you unhappy, then maybe it's not worth it. With all that, is there anything we didn't talk about today? Or is there a story of someone that did it successfully or unsuccessfully that you want to share? something that we missed. I'm fortunate to say that we have been successful so far. I don't have anyone who, in my practice, has had a problem. There are, of course, plenty, for sure. But I think you really need to work with your accountant and your attorney, especially in the state from which you are leaving, to make sure that you are taking the steps there to cut the ties and following through on all of that. 
a lot of people ask, do I need to get a new accountant? Do I need to get a new investment advisor? I don't really think that's true. I think you can keep those advisors. You definitely need to switch legal counsel because we have to draft the documents. And quite frankly, that is something they will look at as well. But the more advisors you have in Florida, the better. But can I say you should absolutely switch? No. And we tell clients all the time, you can keep that advisor or you can keep that accountant. Yeah, it's hard because in overall, we have checklists, the DRS has checklists, but it's not a count the boxes. How many of those boxes did you get? Any one of those boxes, depending on how ultimately important the leaving state thinks it is, can be the determining factor of you not officially changing your domicile. So the more that you do, the better. You want the overwhelming weight on those things. And I think developing those relationships in the new state, certainly if you switch to Veronica, there's no doubt. And thinking about your other advisors, thinking about your doctors, those relationships that you've created are key to establishing that new domicile. All of that is important. And so there are guidelines in each state, but I do think it is still a subjective analysis. And I do think that we are in a pioneering era where things are changing and more and more people are coming to Florida And what we have seen is that the Florida property appraiser is definitely getting tougher on people and the homestead exemption. So for those of you living in New York, moving to Florida, and if you're keeping your residence in New York, make sure you uncheck the box that says that you're entitled to the New York exemption because they are looking at that. You're right. Interesting. Because you had talking in the beginning, what this analysis is often from the leaving state. And you had said like, Florida welcomes you because- Florida's not adding an income tax to you. They're not, the Florida's revenue stream is that property tax. So if you filed that homestead exemption and you received it, they have a continuing interest to now check to make sure that it is in fact your domicile. Right. And I think the other area in which people get into trouble is they rent out their property. So they come and they use it for a month or two, and then they try to recoup some income. That's a no-no too. You're allowed to rent it for two months here and there, but You cannot do that on a more lengthier basis. And I would not trust your neighbor to not report you or some other person. And again, too much data. You have the ring cameras, sensors, you have all of those things. It's also interesting. If you had never in your life rented out your actual house and then you moved to Florida and for some period of time, you also rented it out. It's an argument for the losing state that... In all of that, you rented out your Florida, but you never rented out, even though you were outside of New York for six months, you didn't think about renting that out. I think that's another factor. And getting back to the apps, there was an interesting case was someone had left their iPad that they use all the time at the home in the other state. And that was the argument that your iPad was there. So we think you were there. Even though you said you were not there, we think you were here. So take your iPad with you. So buy multiple iPads. Your phone reminds you when you walk away from it from too far. You get a reminder that says you've separated yourself from your iPad or your watch. Or As we try to wrap this up, we've talked about residents and the checklist of things that our clients should do. We've talked about the importance of homestead and some of the benefits from asset protection, from the descent and device piece, and then the property tax piece, and lots of strategies along the way. So any final thoughts that you want to share with us on that? No, welcome to Florida. Welcome to Florida. And I hope you get better weather. Thanks a lot, Veronica. I appreciate the time today and look forward to continued success in this area. 
Thank you, Michael. Thank you for listening to Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning, hosted by Aaron Nichols and Michael Clear, partners of the Private Client Services Department at Wigan and Dana. At Wigan and Dana, our aim is preserving the wealth that a family has worked so hard to create and pride ourselves in offering value-driven solutions and results. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, share episodes with your clients, and follow our highly talented, creative, and experienced lawyers on LinkedIn for even more great insight. We'll see you next time on Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning.